Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. I'm glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. Unitarian Universalism is part of a long heritage that teaches that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. As part of that heritage, I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is from the book of Isaiah, titled Universal Ministry. The Spirit of God has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to give them a garland instead of ashes, to oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations, the devastations of many generations. You shall be named ministers of our God. The reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah and the hymn we just sang lay out a vision for a metaphorical land, a land that we can uh, live in, the land where justice reigns. This is what we're going for. And this is how we'd like to get there. Our church has people with roots and practices in many different religions, including atheism and neo-paganism. What holds us together? One is the vision of a land where justice rolls down like waters. And another is our mission, which guides us as we get there. We say it every Sunday together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. One of the ways lives are transformed here is through service to the congregation and to the, to the community. Nell Newton is going to have a little bit to say about her service to this congregation. The Reverend Nell Newton. Good morning. I'm not sure if I stand here today of, as an example of what can go right when a person volunteers to serve in this church, or if I'm more of an example of how things can get seriously out of hand. <laughs> Years ago, I was a happy little congregant. I would sit in the pews, and I minded my own business, and I'd duck out right after the service. Thank you. 
And then somebody, somebody asked if I might just want to volunteer. Uh-oh. But the person asking was so nice. I'm going to just warn you. Really sweet, nice, especially ladies. I'm looking at you, Roseanne. <laughs> really nice, sweet people who ask you to volunteer. And you just say, oh, well, I... Uh, um. But it was so simple just to be an usher, just to hand out the order of service. And, and I got to know people because I'd see them as they entered and I'd read their name tag. And, and I could do just that. It'd be nice. And it was. It was nice. And it was that first shift from simply being a consumer, a passive person on Sunday morning, to being kind of part of the making of worship. That was a shift. It was a transition. It was a little transformation. Within a few years, I was volunteering in the RE wing and washing dishes in the kitchen and helping out with specific events. And then a nice, a really nice person asked if I'd want to sit on a committee. <laughs> Me? I, I, I don't know anything. But she seemed to believe that I might actually have something to contribute. Okay. I wound up the chair of that committee. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Roseanne Reeser. <laughs> because as it turned out, I did have something to contribute to that committee. And I got deeper into the process of seeing what church can really be like. It's when I began to consider church as something other than just a noun. It, it became a verb. It became at least an adjective. It was another shift. It was another transition. It was another transformation. I wound up serving on the board. I'm looking at you, Elizabeth Gray. As the president. I did not see that coming. I really didn't. And let's just say it was an exciting time. It was another shift. It was another transition. It was another transformation. From seeing what we were to seeing what we could become... That was really exciting. I'm just going to say, being part of leadership, being part of the leadership team that helped create that mission statement was some of the coolest work I have ever done. Long story short, it was because I was part of leadership that I saw the best of us arise out of some of the worst moments. We all transitioned together. Y'all became an amazing, powerful congregation with a vision to steer yourselves into astonishing actions. Me? I went off to seminary and became a minister. I'm just going to say, that does not happen very often. Just so, don't worry if somebody asks you to sit on a committee. You're not. Don't let my experience scare you away from serving. But if you've ever wondered what makes this place tick, if you ever wondered how you might get something done around here, go ahead. Say yes when that nice person asks you. You'll be participating in something just wonderful. 
And if somebody doesn't know you well enough to ask you yet, go go to the nominating committee table. They're going to have that table out in the gallery, and they can help you find the place where whatever little bit of energy you can give will be put to good use. It'll be put to the work of transforming lives, starting with your own. Go ahead. It's a good idea. We've come to the part of our service when we breathe deeply together and enter into silence where we speak to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies giving us life. It is in the still place that we are assured by every major religion that we can find Clarity, wisdom, compassion, that we can find our strength, find our perspective, become sturdy souls who can accompany the joyous and the suffering. Let us enter into the wise silence together. E.B. White wrote, Democracy is the recurrent suspicion that more than half the people are right more than half the time. William Fulbright wrote, In a democracy, dissent is an act of faith. Howard Winters, last quotation, said, civilization is the process in which one gradually increases the number of people included in the term we or us, and at the same time decreases those labeled you or them until that category has no one left in it. We've had a very us and then time recently in our culture, and it's easy to have happen. So today I'm going to talk about our fifth principle, because during these times I'm in a going back to basics theme. And so I've been alternating between the Buddhist Eightfold Path and the Unitarian Universalist Principles, because those are two of the basics that uh, you can choose to stand on. So the principles are not a creed, they're not a line that you have to toe, but to use a Quaker phrase... They are a sense of the group. They're a sense of the group. We, we pretty much all agree on these things, and we're willing to uh, work for them, talk about them in public, and order our lives so that those principles are lived through our living. The fifth principle says we covenant together to affirm, that means say yes to, and promote, that means talk about, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. So, our congregation is run with a combination of representative democracy and a good old-fashioned Vermont town meeting. We meet twice a year 
and we talk about stuff. We actually meet more than that because we have a, a pre-congregational meeting that is especially for us to have fun arguing. Y'all, y'all don't have fun arguing? No. I, I was raised in a family where that was a sport. But in order for democracy and congregations to work well, we have to trust that our um, voice is heard and that our efforts are needed in order to make things work. We have to arouse ourselves and develop an interest, as Nell was talking about. We have to gradually wake up to the fact that it takes a lot of people to make a healing place and a teaching place happen if it's not just going to happen randomly. And that's why we put our money and our time into our church, because when you've invested money, when you have time put into a thing, then suddenly you're more interested in how it goes. You can't shrug it off just as easily. You have to say, hey, I don't agree with that, respectfully. Our covenant says we disagree with respect and curiosity. So respectfully, I disagree with that. Tell me uh, why we're doing it that way. And that's how we disagree with each other. So I'm going to talk about churches first, and then I'm going to talk about our country. So in a lot of churches, trust is hard for people because almost every group is like this. It's not just churches, but everybody um, has a a little grumbly element in themselves and they go, I'm not running this church. I don't know who's running this church. I think it's just the retired people. And other people go, no, it's just the rich people. They're running everything. And I want to say, having been a minister for 35 years, Mostly, it's the people who have the time and the energy and the willingness to run things who run things. And a lot of times, it is retired people because they have the time. Um, But we try to have childcare at everything so that people who are not retired, who have little kids, can also be part of the running of things. So, um, just a short story about a friend's congregation. And some of y'all have heard this one. So my friend Jim was uh, standing in the line after a service, you know how ministers do, shaking people's hand, and this little knot of people waited till the end of the line, and they came up to him and they said, we finally found out who runs this congregation. And he said, really? They said, yeah, yeah, we heard you talking. We heard you talking last Sunday about the core committee. And he was like, the core committee? Yeah, you were standing right there in the pew and you were talking to Darlene and Justin about the core committee. So Jim was racking his brain. Oh. About three months before that, a beloved member of the congregation had given a really ugly piece of art to the church and insisted that it be hung right behind the pulpit. What to do? So they formed a decor committee. <laughs> to prevent something like that ever happening again. That's what they'd heard. But they knew because their suspicions had been confirmed. There was a core committee that was really running everything. So... Um, We in this congregation do pretty well at democracy in our congregation. Um, 
we have a covenant for our meetings that states that we invite opposing points of view and that those be heard respectfully. And once in a while, the covenant gets broken. And when someone disagrees really disrespectfully, they get a little letter from the president saying, here's our covenant. Please remind yourself. So we, we aim for it. We don't always get there, but we can see it from here. A democracy that's working. Now, I wish I could stop there, uh, but let's talk about our country for a minute. Our principle says we want to promote democracy in our society at large, and we do. We agree with Winston Churchill, who said democracy is the worst form of government there is, except for everything else that's been tried. So, um, sometimes our people in our country have someone in the White House that they can trust, and sometimes they don't. What to do? Well, we need to trust the rest of democracy, right? And it's hard for the people whose party is not in power to trust Democracy, because you think, surely that shouldn't have happened. And each side feels like that from time to time. But we are starting to ask ourselves, and have been for many years, can we even trust our, our information? We try to be informed. Where do we get information that's trustworthy? And that's a problem because in studying about democracy over the years, I read interesting articles about obstacles to democracy, and I'm going to talk about two of them right now. One of them is the fairness doctrine that we used to have. Do you remember that? Some of y'all are old enough to remember. When a TV or radio station or a newspaper had to present both sides of the argument. They had to have the pro and the con. And I remember in South Carolina, I was often called as the out-liberal um, by the newspaper to deliver the out liberal sound bites. And um, in 1987, under the Reagan administration, the Federal Communications Commission voted four to zero to trash the fairness doctrine. They let it go. 1988, the Rush Limbaugh show started. They figured that now with the with the burgeoning internet and the, all the technology that was out there, there, were, there weren't a limited number of stations anymore. So each station, you know, there were more than three. And so each station didn't have to present both sides of the argument anymore. And so really from there, it started just galloping ahead where you have um, red stations and blue stations. And you have red websites and blue websites. And it's very hard to find someone who has both sides of the story anymore. So you have to go, if you're, if you're interested enough, if you have the stomach for it, you have to go look at what each side is saying. And one of the problems is that they don't say the same facts. And there are apparently now red facts and blue facts. And so, of course, both sides think the other side is wacky. Because how could you 
think what you think, but then when you listen to the places where the other sides are getting their facts, you think, oh, if you think that's true, then no wonder you are feeling the way you feel. And, and the other side looks at someone like me, uh, the, the out liberal, and says, wow, if you're getting all your facts from, from that lie in Rachel Maddow, no wonder you think the way you think. So we have looked at each other across this great chasm, and add to that, I'm actually going to talk about three, add to that gerrymandering, where our politicians have their districts drawn to where they can um, land fully with all their weight on one side or the other. They don't have to. They don't have to get votes from liberals and conservatives. They only have to get votes from one or the other, so they can get as far off the track of the middle as they want to get, and they're still probably going to get reelected. But if we had drawn the districts so that you had liberals and conservatives in the same district, then our politicians would be more toward the middle because they would have to satisfy both kinds of people, both points of view. Another obstacle to the clean running of government by the people, or the people, is that corporations are now treated under the law like people, since Citizens United. Okay. Um, a lot of this information, or this, these thoughts, are coming from Tom Stites, who used to be the editor of the Unitarian Universalist World magazine, which I love the name of our magazine, the UU World. <laughs> I had a coworker once who... <laughs> who would just dissolve in laughter when I would call Boston. I would go, this is Meg Barnhouse. Can I have the world, please? <laughs> He'd be under his desk. Connect me to the world, if you will. So, okay, here are the rights people have. The 14th Amendment, which probably could not pass today. But anyway, it did pass. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of its laws. So, as soon as corporations were declared people, they were protected against... Um, illegal search and seizure. They were protected against a lots of uh, invasion of privacy things, a lot of regulatory things that, that actual people are protected against. But the problem is that um, corporations don't ever die. So you have this person who can live forever. And then you have this person who has more money than almost any other individual person. So you have a person with unlimited life, a person with huge amounts of money, not all corporations, just maybe Exxon. Um, 
and that doesn't say that the gas and oil industry is bad. We need our gas and oil. But to have a corporation whose um, economy is bigger than many nations' economies makes a problem. Okay, so um, they have the same rights as people. They're equal to people. The playing field is ostensibly level. But these are people who don't die. These are people who have uh, the brains of a hundred lawyers working for them. These are people who have enough money so that 53 of the world's hundred largest economies were corporations in 2001. I don't know what it is now. So if a nation-sized corporation with its huge treasury and squadrons of lawyers wants to exercise its free speech rights in a shouting match with a citizen who is exercising her free speech rights, who's going to win that shouting match? The corporation every time doesn't seem equal. And now the Supreme Court ruled that the corporate political speech includes the right to spend millions on lobbying in Washington and contribute more millions to political campaigns. And corporations spend millions to make friends in Washington, which is skewing our democracy, not only toward individual gabillionaires, but corporate gabillionaires. And there's really... Um, a shrinking number of ways that the citizen, the individual citizen, can make noise. That's why we make noise, all of us together. We join our voice, the voices together. So, also, corporations don't necessarily have consciences like an individual does or like 75% of individuals do <laughs> and corporations don't really have children and a lot of our decisions are based on what's going to be good for our children and our grandchildren down the line so if you had a person with almost unlimited funds almost unlimited lifespan and no children to worry about and no morality to speak of, not again, not speaking of all the corporations, just some, that person would be a force to be reckoned with. One lawyer said, corporations have been enthroned and an era of corruption in high places will follow and the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign by working upon the prejudices of the people until all wealth is aggregated in a few hands and the republic is destroyed. You know who that was? Abraham Lincoln. So it's always been happening. It's, it's ever been thus, as they say. So, seeing as how dissent is an act of faith in democracy, we when it's time, join our voices in dissent. We have a um, tax-exempt status, which only means we cannot endorse a particular candidate. 
we can talk about issues, endorse issues, and fight for issues till the cows come home. So we need to do that. And we need not to be faint of spirit. I love the scripture from Isaiah that Bill read. Don't be faint of heart. This is not the time. We cannot allow ourselves to despair. We cannot allow despair to have a seat at our table. We danced with it for a little while, for a couple of months. (laughs) But it's time. And I want to read you a little bit of this um, piece from Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And it's called, We Were Made for These Times. My friends, do not lose heart. We were made for these times. I have heard from so many recently who are so deeply and properly bewildered. They're concerned about the state of affairs of our world now. Ours is a time of almost daily astonishment and often righteous rage over the latest degradations of what matters most to civilized visionary people. You are right in your assessments. I grew up on the Great Lakes, and I recognize a seaworthy vessel when I see one. Regarding your souls, there have never been more able vessels in the water than there are right now across the world. And they are fully provisioned and able to signal one another as never before in the history of humankind. Look out over the prow. There are millions of boats of righteous souls on the water with you. And even though your veneers may shiver from every wave in this stormy roll, I assure you that the long timbers composing your prow and rudder come from a greater forest. That long-grained lumber is known to withstand storms, to hold together, to hold its own, and to advance regardless. In any troubled time, the tendency to veer toward fainting over how much is wrong Do not focus on that. There's a tendency, too, to become weakened by dwelling on what is outside your reach. But what cannot yet be? Don't focus on that. That is spending the wind without raising the sails. We are needed. That's all we know. And though we meet resistance, we more so will meet great souls who will hail us, love us, and guide us. And we will know them when they appear. She says, our job right now is to reach out to what we can reach and mend what needs mending. And to stand on the prow and let our actual authentic soul shine. That that shine of an authentic soul is healing and will signal to other authentic souls that it is all right to stand on the prow and let your soul shine. And we will do... The, we will do the practical things. Some of us will come this afternoon and be trained on how to do sanctuary in the streets. How to interrupt an arrest by respectfully asking the ICE officers if they have warrants, etc. How to interrupt a hurtful interaction. We will do practical things like buy tickets for the Sanctuary Network's Carry Newcomer concert. January 26th. Look at the posters that are up all over the place. Um, Or I'm sure there's a table in the gallery, and they will tell you how to buy tickets for Carrie Newcomer here. It's raising money for the Austin Sanctuary Network, 
we were the first Austin Sanctuary Church, and now there are, I think, 15 or maybe more by now sanctuary churches in our network. Um, Ilda and Ivan have had good news. They were in sanctuary at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. Um, they are able to move out now anytime they want to. And we are trying to intervene earlier in the process so that no one has to do the violent upheaval of their life that is going into sanctuary in a church. We're trying to work with people ahead of time. Um, I all applauded and it made my mind go blank. I have no idea what I was going to say next. It's all right. I'm almost done. Oh, yeah, Carrie Newcomer concert. So we do the practical things. We do the things that we can do, and we do them together. There's a website called Indivisible that has lots and lots of suggestions on what to do. This website is put up partially by uh, congressional aides to Lloyd Doggett right here in Austin, and people all over the nation are checking that website. They uh, are astonished because they've had 4 million hits on their website in one month. People are hungry to know what to do, and people are forming groups and registering them with Indivisible. They registered 3,000 groups in one month. And um, Women for Good Government, our own Mary Patrick, is trying to bring the groups together and make sure everybody's uh, not repeating or um, reinventing the wheel. Let us extinguish the chalice together. We extinguish this flame but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. My friends, there is a lot of work to do. Let us be instructed and inspired by our forebears in the civil rights movement who understood and still understand what it is to speak truth to power, and how to keep on moving forward. Please sing with me. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching to the freedom land. May we build it. May it be so. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.